everyone, welcome back to another impactful night of Impact Education Leadership. This is episode 160. I'm your host, Dottie 34. Isaiah Jordan Thurston, tonight's panel is ours. Sandy Roberts and Buddy Thornton, Apostle Shane Jason Pro. Buddy Thornton, please say hello to the people. Good evening, everybody. It is an absolute pleasure to be here tonight with my panel mate, Sandy, who is a very good friend of mine, and I am just looking forward to tonight. And Sandy Roberts, please. I am equally delighted. Absolutely. Yes, thank you. See, I'm so excited. I jumped in to say how delighted I am to be here tonight and to hang out with the two of you. Well, when, when you're seasoned like you are, it, it don't matter when you jump in. We just are glad to have you in. Uh, with that being said, the topic for tonight is one that I just feel is going to be far-reaching. And that is setting up master class courses. Setting up master class courses. Our education system is altering. Whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, it's happening right before our eyes. Parents, teachers, listen up. Our our students, our scholars are are confused. They're confused about the random changes that are being imposed on them since the onset of COVID-19. Teachers are leaving in droves and they are disgusted, mismanaged by forcing them to learn things they do not want to know or need to know. In places they have no clue about, we need direction. We need questions to be answered. We need processes and patterns that we can find a guide to. And for this purpose, we have educational consultants like we have here tonight on the podcast that's going to tell us why it is so important that not only we create master classes, right? but we tailor make these classes for those different school cultures, we have to ask a question. And these questions help our content developers prepare and gather all the resources they need for their master classes. So with that being said, tonight we're gonna to talk a little bit about how to set up, when to set up a master class and what to expect from those master class courses. You know, first I want to go to Sandy Roberts. Sandy Roberts, it's been a while since we have had you on the podcast. Last time you were on, it was so amazing. Mm -hmm. We got so many comments. What was your thought when we gave you the topic for tonight? Um, that it, it could not possibly be better timing. This is so perfect. And that when you hear what I'm up to right now, you are going to go, wow. No, her name was out there in the ether, and no wonder I picked up on it and asked her to come tonight. Okay, well, we're going to go right to it. What I are you am, up to? What, um, what are you up to? <laughs> what are you up to, Carly? <laughs> okay, here's what I'm up to. Um, I, I had retired from teaching at the community college in the psychology department. And before, well, I mean, every, well, COVID, you know, took everything apart and that. And so before that ended, I was also teaching, I was teaching dual enrollment courses, uh, psych one-on-one and cultural psych 
to the college's charter high school. And that which is a small high school with, you know, just over a hundred students and just marvelous and with with the best high school principal I have ever met in my entire life. And so that kind of, you know, that, that ended with COVID, that was, you know, that kind of fell apart. Uh, I was doing other things after that, but then just like in the past, um, not even two months, just, just really a little bit more than a month, and that I got a call from my high school principal guy, and he had, he, he left where he had been with the college, and his um, had taken a position uh, with a high school from the Indian Reservation. Remember, we're in Arizona, and asked if I would come and teach some dual enrollment classes for him. And that, and he says, "Would you please come out of retirement? I need you to teach these classes." And he's just—he's the best principal, seriously. And that that I, that I have ever worked with, and I couldn't say no. <laughs> it was just like I wanted to say no, but I couldn't. And so, the probably what I'm going to do is I'll be teaching a couple classes for him second semester. So like you know after the holiday break and everything, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. And I went out and spent a day at the school. They were doing some events. And it was, it just felt so comfortable. It was just really worth being there to help him, to help the students, uh, to be involved in the, in the community and to be able to bring, uh, you know, different aspects of, you know, the, the meanings of psychology and culture, et cetera, uh, and be able to work and communicate with the Native American community um, so it's just like I mean, I'm thrilled to be doing this. Uh, total pain in the neck. I had to like track, track down track my, you know, credentials and you know all these kinds of things. That you know, where is this? You know, where is this piece of paper? And uh, um, and it just you know I'm I'm looking forward to when we get started after the first of the year. So I'll teach second semester, and I'll I'll teach two classes that the. Students will try to get the seniors through it first since they'll be graduating and then see what we're going to do, you know, with the rest of the students. But it's really, it's invigorating to be someplace where they want you. And that is key to almost anything that we're doing. I mean, I, I have, I have dealt with schools where one of my favorite stories is um, I was site-based at a high school in, in, um, in California and it was a small high school and then just down the coast from San Francisco and pretty isolated from the other communities as far as traveling and that to get to the main peninsula or to get up to San Francisco everything was over a mountain pass and it was it was a really wonderful experience but you know nobody wanted me on campus the the county was uh, the County Drug and Alcohol Prevention was paying for me to be on campus. Uh, you know, everything was, you know, you know, you have to be here, blah, 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 we'll just deal with it. And then one morning I get a call at like six o'clock in the morning from the principal and he says, 
okay, there's been a gang fight, uh, there's problems, they're all fighting, how fast can you get here? And that was a major turning point. You know, I mean, I don't want somebody to have to have a crisis in order to, you know, listen. But, you know, up, up until that moment, you know, he could see no value in, you know, in someone being there with different kinds of skills. And that, but that, that moment, which you don't, you know, necessarily want, and that it was a turning point. And then it was, you know, it was perceived completely different after that. So, you know, sometimes you just have to stick it out. <laughs> and the, the bottom line is helping the youth get the things that they need, the things that they deserve to have, that if someone isn't advocating for them, if there isn't an adult advocating for them, that they're going to miss out on. That, that was so, so good. What do you think? Oh, God, it was good. Let me let me ask a qu- one question from you uh, to explain to the audience, because a lot of people may not know. They could know, but I know you can explain it. Can I explain to the listening audience what is dual enrollment? What does that mean? Dual enrollment means that I am teaching a college course, the same exact course that I teach at the college for college credit to high school students and they're earning college credits. So it, depending upon when a school might start with, with the dual enrollment, so they're enrolled in high school and they're taking all the high school classes, but they're also enrolled in the college classes, which have to be taught by someone who you know can teach the college courses, of course. And so I'm able to go in and teach the same psychology class that I'm teaching at the college and they're getting college credits. So if I teach two courses in the um, you know, spring semester, you know, af- after the holiday break and back in school in, in January, and that there will be students who will have six college units as they go, as, when they graduate from high school. You see, that's incredible. That, that's, it's basically, yeah. No, that's that is incredible, yeah, and it's so necessary, and, and it's so crucial. And why I say it's so necessary, and why I say it's so crucial, you know, because there is there's a lot of uh, social economically disadvantaged adolescents that are in school, especially yeah. those public schools, and so you know we got poverty there. You know, we got people that you know are living in single parent households, right? And where in most cases the mom uh, has to bring home the bacon, then she has to cook the bacon, and then she has to put the kids to bed after them eating the bacon and getting them ready and doing homework. And so this is so tiring, right? In most cases, so that poverty is there, and then also you have bullying. Right. That's also there in that mix that's being dealt with. So now we're in this demographic, we're in this area and we're dealing with many challenges. Right. And then let's throw in COVID-19 and monkeypox. Right. So there's so, so much. There's so much going on. There's so much going on. Let me go to Buddy Thornton, Pod Social Change Agent Pro. We call him the Pod Social Change Agent Pro because he he is so gifted in this area. He's able to take 
uh, complex challenges and, and just chew on them. And when he regurgitates, he's able to section them off in a way that people can understand and they can see the way he illustrates and paints a picture. Buddy Thornton, what was your thoughts when you got the topic for tonight? Uh, I believe that because of COVID, I mean, obviously we had virtual learning and we had digital learning and we had in-person learning for decades before COVID, but COVID actually created a situation where we were forced to stop incrementally innovating and just tweaking the learning process. And we had to look at disruptive innovation. We had to look at creating an entirely new model. And the hybrid model that has been used by a lot of the school systems is the height of what I like to call incremental innovation. They took what they could out of each systems and they put them together and some very, very high level people and some people who were just willing to think outside the box stepped up and said, this isn't good enough. We need to disrupt it. We need to tear it apart. We need to make it all together again. And so you've got people who actually looked at how we teach people and how people learn. And they started creating a system that would allow us to escape age barriers, escape uh, demographics, escape uh, affluence versus non-affluence and start treating people and educating people based on where they are right now. And that's what I see in the master classes that I've observed and the instructors I've talked to across the country. They're all saying the same thing. They are tweaking different portions of their master classes so that they can start from the very, very low end all the way to the very high end. And they are literally reinventing education based on where the learner is not where the education system thinks they need to be and that's what i got out of when you sent this talk absolutely we thank you for that you know when you were talking i i I could not help but think about uh affluency how people that are affluent and they come into a situation and they they, they, they give a, a, a motivation, right, uh, to different situations that change the course of how, how people see things and how people interact, right? And then you got those people that have influence that are able to just naturally go into a situation not even knowing sometimes that they even have influence. And, and people are just inclined to follow every step that they that they make right and it's that guidance right uh and it it helps us become effective right it helps us become effective i would say across the board right and so we're living in a society now that whether you want to believe it or not you know coming out of COVID-19 that was a very helpless and a very hopeless I believe, and this is just my thoughts, a time in, in our life, in the world, uh, where people, you know, could not find, you know, what was next. You know, you had some people out there that, that those gifted people, right, that have influence and affluence, 
that were thinking forward, right? Like like yourself and like Sandy, who who, who were thinking, you know, when this is just a time period, this is just an era in time, we're going to come out of this. And so we need to have things set in place so that when we cross this bridge, when we transition from this place, we need to have something that's appropriate, something that's effective and something that's necessary for the people to help build them back up. Right. And so when we talk about building people back up, that is not a lightweight <laughs> that is not a lightweight duty. That is not a lightweight task. And, and I, I believe you got to have some passion. You got to have some love. You got to have. Well, let me ask. What do you have to have? What did you have to have? Uh, what fueled your passion? Right. Especially coming out of COVID-19. Because, you know, both of you have done so much uh, from, you know, from before COVID-19 to now. What has feel? What is the most single thing? What is the single thing that has fueled your passion to create? That would be my first question across the board. This is the the panel is open. Who wants to take that first? I'll jump in. <laughs> yeah. Okay. When when you were saying that, what came to my mind is the thing that has worked the best for me and for the schools uh, for the past, gosh, all the way back to, I would say like 20 some years at least. And that is that there needs to be, and for me, as far as I'm concerned, that, uh, and that there has to be this in every school and that if they're gonna really make some progress, we need peer programs. We need the students teaching each other. They need to, um, actually, I don't usually like really, really serious, seriously promote my website, but if you go to my website, sandyroberts.com, um, there's a whole thing on it on peer counseling programs and that, and that's student to student. And the, kid, the students turn teens, middle school, et cetera, even grade school, uh, they turn to each other long before they tell a parent what's wrong. And, they're within the scope of the peer counseling programs are adults who can help bridge that and who can help them be able to talk to their parents because otherwise, um, you know, otherwise you have tragedy and that's like serious tragedy, like suicidal tragedy. The other piece um, is basically within, within the framework of how I met Buddy and that is conflict resolution. And that when these kids know how to help themselves and each other through what I would call, you know, basic mental health, emotional health, et cetera, with the peer counseling, then they need to know how to resolve conflicts. And when they need, when they are able to help each other get past the, the difficult time and, and know how to just to sit down and to start to be able to, in a positive way, depersonalize something so that they can you know, deconstruct it and, and build it up stronger. And those two avenues are there, you know, I mean, what do you think, buddy? Oh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, the one, the two things that kids need to know that they can build competency in is the two things that drive them uh, on the genetic level. I mean, there's no such thing as a teenager who doesn't want socialization. 
and there's mm-hmm. only one thing that they fear in socialization is that is that you're going to become an outcast or be ostracized. So if they don't learn a how to become relational and b learn how to handle conflict as it emerges, so that they don't become ostracized, then they you know they just aren't meeting their needs. And every teenager or every child from say age ten, eleven, all the way into their early twenties faces that dynamic. It's it's not something that we should be debating about. It's something that there should be consensus about, and we should plan everything around that dynamic. Yes, and, and what ends up happening is they say, oh, no, we need to do this other branch of, you know, English 978 and a half, and, that, and the heck with the social competency skills. Um, and yeah, I, I know I sound harsh on that, but sometimes if, if they don't take the time to help the person build the person and address their internal things that they have going on and whatever's happening at home, whatever's happening in the community, whatever's happening on the school bus or the playground, and that they need these coping skills. And when they have those coping skills, it frees up time to be able to concentrate on the learning skills that we want them to have. I, I want to add one thing to that, too. When you start looking at the difference between affluent and non-affluent populations, the affluent populations are not necessarily benefited because they're entitled and they have access to a larger amount of resources. That actually handicaps them in some circumstances. And I'll give you the reason I say that. There's a continuum for all kinds of behavior. And when we have the gift of technology and we have the gift of being able to grab our smartphone and just look up anything, how important is it to learn some of the raw basic skills that are being taught in school, core knowledge? But now, go to the other extreme, because if it's good on one end, it has to also be good on the other end. If you were to all of a sudden go into the forest with the Moscow Piro tribe in the Amazons, who have absolutely no clue what a smartphone is, who look for turtle eggs, and that's what they is their main diet, and they they look at modern man as if we're a bunch of lazy, inconsiderate, can't do anything people. If you sent our normal teenager into that environment, they would be like a babe without a diaper. They wouldn't be able to function whatsoever. But if they had relationship skills and they understood how to observe and learn and adapt and avoid conflict, they could survive. There's no other skill that we can teach these kids that if we were all of a sudden bombed out back to the Stone Age out because of some crazy war that happens, the ones who can't adapt and have those skills will not survive. The only survivors will be the ones who embrace altruistic reciprocity and understand the power of being relational. You know, what you said was so profound. And, you know, you talked about cultures. And for those that's listening, cultures, for me, simply is a way of life. A way of life of people. How people live, that's their way of life. And so, you know, being observant, right? Being observant meaning... I'm watching how this person lives and I respect the way they live. Now I can, 
you know, I cannot embarrass myself one, but I can also add to that or I can take away is up to, you know, my perception. How do I perceive that thing? Right. Before I ask the question, let me say this. When we do our because uh, we have an anti-bullying, uh, we're doing an anti-bullying campaign, but we also have an anti-bullying course. And one of the survey questions that we ask is, did this training teach you to take action by helping the victim? Right. Because we want to know if they understand, you know, what it means to help someone that needs help, right? This is very important. Another question we asked in the survey is, did this survey or this, did this training teach you to take action by shifting the focus and redirecting the bully away from the victim, right? And so these are some of the questions that we asked our participants or our our students that go through these trainings because this is how we design our our course you know i was bullied as a child and so that's why i developed this anti-bullying course or this anti-bullying campaign right because i learned a lot of i got a lot of tools on how to manage bullying right so let me ask a question let me open up the panel how did you start your first master class course who wants to take that first uh, when I was trying to decide how to take the information that I believed that would be beneficial when I pivoted from my larger career to my second life uh, Americans are not supposed to have a second or a third act and I think Sandy and I are both probably on our third or fourth <laughs> act so I, that, that gets blown out of the water but what I wanted to look at was what would be the outcome and is the outcome relevant to the receiver and is the topic something that the instructor can have passion about because what's missing in education is the passionate teacher, the role model, the passionate role model, because if you don't have passion about a topic, you're only going to teach rote information and you, you may not even be able to catch some of the nuances of the topic. But if you have passion about the topic, then you can create an overwhelming Picasso course, that master course that will hit a lot of the high points and the low points. And when people ask you questions in the Q&A, you can expand those high points and low points until you get to a point of almost infinity with the master course. When you design the master course, you make it so that it benefits anyone at any level who can take it, and you build a library of answers that you may not have had, that some of your students or someone may have had. You have to build it so that it is omnidirectional. You are not just disseminating information. You have to be willing to adapt to incoming and new information and the more knowledgeable other. If someone takes the class and they go, I think you have that wrong, and they're right, you have to, number one, admit it, two, include it in the next version of the course, and keep adapting. Education is not static, which is one of the biggest problems in the American education system. But that's how I do my master classes. And that's what started me, was realizing that that was the pivot point. Well, so well said, buddy. Just 
so well stated. Uh, I, I think that we have to loop around. Sometimes we're the teacher, sometimes we're the student. And it, it's always, you know, it's not we don't stop being the student just because we have things that we can be the teacher in. And that we always have to be open to, you know, where is this going? How how have things changed? Um, you know, it's it's always a matter of, you know, it, it, it just goes on and it, it flows. And, you know, those of us who have been trained and who know people who've been trained in that to handle um, <laughs> tough situations, uh, you know, they're able to help us be able to reach enough people. There were so many times, and I'm sure you've had the same thing, there were so many times that, you know, I would be trying to to help a school or help a, a, a program or something like that. And it, it would come down to that someone would have to tell them that they had to do that. They had to accept the class, accept the training, accept you know, what I was able to teach them, um, you know, or they would lose something, you know, maybe some of their funding or something like that from, you know, the counties that, uh, you know, are, are funding schools and the state. And it was so weird to have to have someone, you know, from the State Department of Education or from the county uh, say, you need to have her come and talk to your students. Otherwise, we're, you know, we're, we're just not going to fund some of these things that you want to do. And you know, I'm I'm absolutely positively wishing that that wasn't the case. That you know that there were more of the ones that would say, you know, oh gosh, you know, thank heaven you can come in and talk to them about some of these other situations. When I would go into a classroom and talk to the students about suicide prevention, I would have at a certain point I would have the teacher go to the back of the room, and then I would ask some questions that the students were able to answer that were, you know, more, uh, you know, topic-driven questions. And the teacher was supposed to be back there, you know, noticing who had their hand up, you know, who, who has their hand up, uh, you know, to answer, it, you know, has there ever been a suicide in your family? Do you, you know, are you aware of, you know, this? Are you aware of how to handle a conflict? Would you like to learn how to handle a conflict? And, you know, and actually take a poll and be willing to do something with that. But in each case, it was really, um, I happened to be fortunate to be in a progressive county in Northern California. And I was fortunate that the county really stood up for these things. The county wanted to see the schools put in some peer programs, peer-to-peer uh, programs. And they were the ones who would say, you know, okay, we're going to have the statewide conference and, you know, who, who would like to be a presenter? And so a couple of years I took students who presented at the conferences. And, uh, so being able to have the, the financial and educational backing makes, you know, all the difference in the world. And the, the schools have to take responsibility for more than knowing how to add two and two. Oh, Back this to is, either one of you. No, this is so good. This is so, so good. Let me, let me go further. I want to go further. I want to go further. Because what in the conversation is okay. now is I think it has changed. I think it has pivoted. And what do I mean by that? It has pivoted. So, you know, we have misconceptions. And what I mean by misconceptions is we have so many things that need to be clarified. 
right? We need we need to clarify. First of all, we need to clarify how do people learn, right? Because people don't learn the same. Some people learn by seeing. Some people learn by watching. Some people learn by hands on, right? And so it takes those master communicators like yourselves to be able to observe a situation and to determine okay this is going to fit for this these people in this group will benefit better they're going to understand why you know we we have to learn it this way right because i have a strategy for this learning style because i've developed a course that's going to give them the ability to understand different viewpoints I'm going to help them improve the way they see things. If you have a course that helps people to network, I'm going to improve their networking skills. If you have a course that helps people talk about tough conversations, I'm going to help them apply right knowledge to giving them a more cohesive decision making skill right and and let's talk about tough conversations i i feel like and i could be wrong cuz buddy i'm 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 in your lane now cuz you you wrote a, a book and you wrote a course called tough conversations tough choices and this is your tc squared but does TC squared work with every learning style? Does it affect people the same way across the board? We know people receive information differently. We know people give information differently, right? So why do we need to understand learning styles? Right? And why do we need to learn understand these learning styles? so that we know the possibilities of how people are receiving what we say you know their viewpoints on what we say their perspectives on what we say or does it even matter should we even should we even care what they think when we're teaching them or do we just want to teach to the test i mean what's your thoughts why do we need to, why do we need to understand learning styles? Well, Go ahead. This is <laughs> you know, when you said you were hitting my lane, yeah, you know, you really uh you jumped right in there and you planted yourself right on the center line. So uh let's let's look at one thing very important. When you talk about conflict as an example, and you're talking about why you need to understand learning styles, because conflict only has three sources especially if it's conflict in a group environment. There's task-oriented conflict based on perceptions of who's doing what, who's not doing what. There's relationship-oriented, well, who's, who's buddying up with who, who's ganging up on who. And then there's value-oriented conflict, and that comes from people who value the outcome or people who value participating in the process and there's uh, you know there's a, an infinite number of ways you can paint those three 
different artifacts, but task-oriented, relationship-oriented, and value-oriented are the basic origins of all conflict. But now let's attach that to learning styles. Everyone always says there's visual, auditory, and kinesthetic learning styles, but that doesn't paint the whole picture. First of all, visual and auditory are what we like to call observational learning styles. Kinesthetic is doing, but there's two different types of doing. There's physical doing where you're actually manipulating your biology to get something done, and then there's reading, writing, interactive, communication, uh, you know, uh, taking a conversation up the ladder with someone else so that you can co-learn at the same time. That's, a, that's another form of kinesthetic learning. So there's really four main ways to learn. And then there's those hybrid things that interact with all four of those main. And that's logical learning. That's social learning. Social learning that cannot be done in any other way. You can't do it by yourself. And then the flip side of that coin, you have self-driven solitary learning. And then what we have is naturalistic learning. And that's part of child development. That's part of how you get all your biases and how you get all of your opinions. But those are the four main and the four hybrid types of learning. But then we also have some style things. And you brought one in. You said music. You know, music is a wonderful medium for some people to learn. They can also learn not only information about what music does, what it brings, the art, the aesthetic value, but they also learn that music soothes the savage beast. It is... It's a calming effect. It's a coping mechanism. There's uh, there's intrapersonal learning. There's interpersonal learning. There's perspective making and perspective taking. Okay? All these are things that happen during human development. And when you get to the end of the road and you're looking at a functional adult, you have to look at the way adults learn as well. Adults have four basic learning styles that incorporate all of those other styles. Because by the time you become a functional adult, you may have a preferred style, but you're going to incorporate all of the styles. But then you separate them into a matrix. Some people have to do things by a menu-driven system. It's called step learning. Then there's the talk about or converse about or come to some type of consensus about and then there's research where you can do it alone or in teams another way to drive yourself back to that talk about scenario and then there's those guys who are what i like to call the super learners those are the guys who take that research in alone or teams and they pivot the other direction and they create they innovate this they disrupt society and so as you can see those main and those hybrid eight bunch that is in the development stage actually puts you where you are as an adult. And I think that it's a critical mission to join those two with a bridge. You have to understand how those main developmental learning styles become those adult styles. And the way you do that is you create an environment where you tell people that if you're not the expert in the room, and how we define expert in the room is the person in the room with the most knowledge about the topic on the table, that you should be perspective taking. You should be actively listening. You should be participating and asking questions so that you can get the information reframed in such a way that you understand it. Because the goal is to be able to do perspective making 
to someone else later, further down the line. And what I like to label that is a co-creation feedback cycle where you pivot back and forth between perspective taking and perspective making over and over and over again. And the biology is simple. The human brain has over 100 billion nerve cells. There is no way any person can say, oh, I'm only a visual learner. That's not true. You learn through every different process, and the older you get, the more mature you get, the more you incorporate all of those styles, but there has to be a roadmap. So if you can't identify where someone is in the development stage and get them to adapt and adopt all those other styles, when they become an adult, they're going to be missing some components. And all you have to do is look at today's society to see where that gets us. And that's why it's really important to understand learning styles. That was hot off the press. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Buddy Thurman, the process of change agent. Pro, listen, Buddy, what you said, I'm going to change it up on you, okay? <laughs> change it up. What you said, if I put a beat to what you said, it would be a rap song. Okay? And I know rap has those syncopations, it has those rhythms, it has that improv, but it's hip-hop, right? It's hip-hop, it's freestyle, it's, it's rapping, it's jazz, it's improv, it's improvisation. As you were speaking, man, I, I forgot all about it and I feel so horrible. I had a conversation with the legend George Duke, jazz extraordinaire. He was not just a musician, a composer, entertainer, performer, a film director. He, he was he was just the gamut. He was a gamut of music. He was like a Michael Jackson of jazz. He was like a prince of jazz. He was he was George Duke. I mean I mean this guy. And I had a conversation with him and it was about practice, right? And he told me, he said, Isaiah, before you go out and play and, and do a set or whatever you want to call it, he said, do you practice the performance in your mind? And I said, what? He said, do you practice from A to Z the performance in your mind? And it, listen, that blew my mind because if we were doing uh, Autumn Leaves, right, this it's a jazz composition, right? And he's saying to me, do you play that song in your mind and improv, do all the improvisation in your mind before you go out and play it physically? And I'm going to be honest with you. I told him, no, I didn't. He said, well, then, you, he said, well, then you're not really learning that song. Because you're not utilizing all the parts of your brain. Now, here's a guy that played with Miles Davis, Chick Corea, Herbert Hancock. I mean, you name it. John Coltrane. Um, the list goes on and on. And so what he's telling me is what was told to him from the masters. We got another master here tonight. Sari Roberts. Sandy Roberts. <laughs> Sandy Roberts. 
You got me over here. I'm just listen. I am over here like over. <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> listen, wait, I, I, yeah, I, I just I want to I, wait. I want to bask in this moment where I'm being on the same pedestal with these incredible performers and creative people, and and the two of you. <laughs> I just want to bask in that for a moment. It's real. It's real. No, I mean when Buddy was speaking, that's. <laughs> You know, that's where he's at, right? And it's like, you know, you got to find mm-hmm. your lane. And and that's his lane. That's where he's at, right? That's his road. That's his destiny. Yeah. And I see the signs. I see the signs. I see the signs. And so, you know, Sandy, I started talking about jazz. I, I started, I love jazz. I mean, I, I, I used to breathe jazz. I mean... I will work a job and get a paycheck in two weeks, and most of my paycheck went to jazz CDs. It was an addiction. It was I had to get counseling. It was it was just too much. It was too much. But <laughs> let me go here. So with jazz <laughs> and improv, it's communication. It's interplay, right? Because we're sitting, I'm sitting yeah. at on a set, and and maybe I'm on the piano, right? And the drummer, he's there or she's there, right? And the bass player's there. And the, you know, maybe it's a saxophonist there or a guitar player. And we're communicating. We're all on one sheet sheet of music. Right? So when the music says, hey, get loud, we got to get loud. When the music says, go medium, we have to go medium. When the music says go soft, we have to go soft. When the when the music says you have to syncopate this beat, you know, or this rhythm exactly at this point, and it creates a motif or a thing. We have to be there. We have to communicate. And the thing about music is, when it's off, everyone knows it. You can't hide. <laughs> you cannot hide. Whereas when you're talking, I believe the masters, they can hear when you get off. My question to you, Miss Sandy Roberts. What leads yeah. to miscommunication between people who do not have similar, and I'm not just talking culture here, but who does not have similar values and beliefs what leads to that miscommunication what leads to them getting off the beat what leads to them getting off the the same sheet of music especially in the workplace and them drifting off into no man's land what is going on here please give us some wisdom in that matter so there's so much of it that um expectations of doing well are often the the expectation is okay, but they're picking the wrong thing to tackle to do well. If they were um, wanting to do well, like someone in a person like a doctor or something like that, they they know that they're going to need to commit to study, etc. The musician. The musician is not going to just like open some case and automatically know how to work the instrument. I mean, you, you could give me an incredible 
you know, instrument and I open the case and I go, okay, what do I do? Do I touch it? Do I blow on it? Do I, you know, do I inhale on, I mean, you know, what do I do to make it make music and that. So I think we miss a lot of steps along the way where we have expectations that somebody's supposed to know all these things and we forget to, you know, to inquire in that. So, I mean, if someone said, uh, you know, this is amazing, um, you know, I've had this experience with it, uh, you know, would you like to try it? And I might have to say, well, you know, do, do I blow at it? Do I hold it? Do I, you know, do something with my fingers? You know, you know what, what do I do with it? And so we, we need to pass along these talents. We need to pass along, you know, how to do things. And sometimes we get so caught up in trying to just, you know, manage, trying to put food on the table, trying to, you know, keep our relationships together, that, that we, we get lost and then we, we get lost to the stuff and then little things become, you know, the, the petty things become huge and we get sidetracked and, you know, it, it, it's a hard place to be in, but it's, it's understandable. And so we're not bad for getting into those little side trips, but what we do need to do is we need to look for when there's someone that can help us move through it faster than if we have to figure the whole thing out on their own. And that I am so not musically talented. I have a sister who is fabulously musically talented and that she could play things on the piano that you thought that she had studied for 20 years when she was nine and that. Um, you know, me, it's like, you know, I can't even play chopsticks or whatever it is. And I don't even know the name of what it is. I can't play. Uh, so there's, you know, if everybody needed to be at the same place or at the same skill, you know, we'd be a pretty boring country and everybody would be doing just the same thing. And we need to look at that in our businesses, in our relationships, and, in, in, you know, in our schools. Um, you know, right now they're so busy teaching to the test and that, that they're not teaching the person. And we, we have so many places where we really need to go back and say, what are we helping the person with? What is going to help them survive and be able to utilize these skills? Um, we're, we're so worried that, I mean, we, we've come into a, a whole, you know, everything's taken away from us, not given to us. And we need to get back into sharing. We need to, you know, get back into, you know, how can this help more people? How can, you know, how can this help me as that? You know, just because I might be um, knowledgeable in one uh, situation doesn't mean I'm equally knowledgeable in another situation. So, you know, I, we're forever the teacher and the student. And, you know, I think those are the things that we have to remember. We start to put pressure on someone to, you know, always be the teacher or always be the student. And we kind of get off track. Uh, Sandy well, Roberts, yeah, I'd you like are add, love. I'd like to add but, something but, to buddy, that. Buddy, before you add something to that, let me say this real quick. Sandy okay. Roberts, you are loved. <laughs> when I say you are loved, I mean you are loved. <laughs> you are loved. You talk when you when you the way you talked about the way you dealt with communication, I, you dealt with it like dimensions. When you dealt with it like 
dimensions, dimensions, dimensions are spaces, dimensions are environments, dimensions are layers, dimensions are are, are episodes. It's an infrastructure. The panel was open. I know, buddy. The panel was open, and I just cannot wait to hear what Buddy has to say. But when when you talked about communication, I heard dimensions. I heard like you you open up doors in different dimensions and different layers. And Buddy caught it too. Buddy, I cannot wait to hear what Buddy has to say. Go ahead, please. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I think it's really important that we pivot to someone who's not here tonight, give him credit. But when Dr. Larry Davis is asked about standardized tests, his his immediate response is, we do not have standardized children. We do not come from standardized families. We don't live in standardized environments. How can standardized education help these kids? And I fully agree with that. But, you know, when you're looking at what leads to miscommunication, and I think Sandy hit it dead on when she said expectations and comfort zone is applicable. People are not taught relativity. Just because you think something is a certain way doesn't mean the person standing next to you thinks the same way. Everyone has the right to have an opinion. The only thing that has to be maintained is solid facts. But the majority of what we have in the world is opinion. You know, certitude or certainty about something is very difficult to prove. So what you're left with is the best or most applicable opinion. But you have to be willing to be curious about the other person. And you have to be willing to accept that just because you have a value or belief about something. It's not the best. It's not optimal. It's just one of a million different ways to look at that value or belief. And you have to give anybody else their due to have a different opinion, a different value, and a different belief. Now, does that create disharmony at times? Absolutely. But disharmony is how we evolve. That's the one thing Sandy said that I drew right immediately, right up out of the mud. She said, if we were all the same how boring would we be? We would be pathetically boring. I'm going to tell you, the teacher that I was the most ingrained with was an education teacher who taught English. And, you know, back when I went to school, when Sandy went to school, we were taught the classics. You read Macbeth. You read Hamlet. You read the classics. Okay? But this teacher said, no, uh-uh. I got motorheads in the class. If they want to bring popular mechanics to school and they want to do a report on on an article from popular mechanics, I'm going to give them an A because it proves they know how to read, comprehend, and reframe and regurgitate the information. And that taught me a valuable lesson very early in life that everyone is different, everyone is unique, everyone should have the ability to impress their teacher that they have a certain skill and it doesn't get taught in a standardized way. That's so important. That's so well said. Uh, I'm I'm applauding you. Yay! Um, and so true. I mean, so half of my frustration in the classroom is because somebody else is telling me what I'm supposed to say, and I'm not willing to do it. Um, <laughs> that's, yes, I am a rebel. Um, but. 
I just want them to have an open opportunity to see multiple sides of something and that and someone else will come along and say we need to do and I go nope I want to say first of all that I'm really really appreciative that you brought Sandy into this conversation you know it takes decades decades to be comfortable speaking about some of the topics that Sandy is a world class expert on like the pain and anguish of having to lose a loved one out of no other reason than someone didn't see something, someone didn't catch something, someone didn't prevent something. When she talks about suicide and she talks about suicide prevention, she always approaches it from a practical position with empathy. Is there a reason why we can't apply that to other topics and other educational spheres? You know, even in the hard sciences, when someone's having difficulty learning something, shouldn't we take the time to realize that maybe that's not their place where they need to be and we pivot them somewhere else and then give them credit for what they are good for? I mean, that's what we need to do. We, we can't just pigeonhole people and say they can't do something because obviously everyone has a skill set and I think I could never do what Sandy does at the level she does. She is so fantastic about what she does. And likewise, you know, you could say that about anybody who's an expert educator. We are not teachers. We're not educators. We are learning environment facilitators. We take what's given to us and we find a way to spread it out on the table and get the kids and the adults to find the information in whatever way they optimize, and then we reframe it into their optimization so that they get it when they walk out the door. They all have at least an equal education based on their learning. And that's what people like Sandy bring to the table. No, thank you. Um, One of the things that was striking me while you were saying that is I remember I was in a biology class uh, definitely not one of my strong suits and that in, in the sciences. But there was a um, there was a gal in the class who was having trouble taking notes. Um, she was deaf, and if the if, if the teacher was not looking at the class but was sta- was writing on the board and talking at the same time, she would have no way of knowing what he was saying. And we got into a conversation and she, you know, asked would I consider um, like just putting a carbon under my note taking and, you know, just give her a copy of my raw notes. And I said, yeah, that would be really, really, really great. And that and and then I saw her uh, playing tennis and it was like, oh, my God, she was so good. Uh, I was like she was like an A plus 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 player, and I was like a C, you know, plus minus 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 player. And I said, "Yeah, let's make a deal." I said, "I I will take notes and you know make sure that they're you know as as legible as possible and try to capture you know what the professor's saying." And will you teach me some more about tennis? And that's exactly what we did. We had a nice little system, and that she we got on the tennis court together and that and she made me a little, a little bit of a better player at least and you know and and I shared my notes and it was such a feel good it was you know I mean she didn't have the opportunity unless someone helped her 
with hearing what was going on in class and and I didn't have someone, you know, helping me, uh, you know, be a little bit better on the tennis court than that. So, you know, sometimes we have to look for these golden opportunities and, you know, sometimes they just kind of fall into our lap and we need to appreciate them. Listen, this has been another impactful night of the Impact Education Leadership. This is episode 160. Good night. Follow us, 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 follow us